so if you have offering, tithe, whatever, a lot of that stuff goes towards the camp. So a lot of kids that normally doesn't, don't get to go to the kind of thing because of income situations or whatever, those funds help provide for that. So before we get started, I just want to open up with prayer. So if you would bow your heads with me. Jesus, how we need you today more than ever. We plead that you come dwell within us. Allow us into your holy presence. Help us fulfill your will in our lives. We ask that you be with us and our families as we continue this journey for your kingdom. For we know, left to our own devices, our wicked hearts would lead us astray. We invite you to radically change us to your desired plan, whatever that may take and as scary as that can be. We know we must give it all for you because you gave it all for us. Through your son, Jesus, we thank you. Amen. So today, the message I have, it's not a complex message or a message we don't hear a lot about, but it is important. And I feel like without this, it's hard to imagine having a Christian life with God. So the subject I'm going to talk about is prayer. And if I was to have a title for this message, I guess you could say the call to prayer. And the challenge today is how do we have a relationship with God if we're not in constant prayer with Him? I don't know if any of you ever tried to have a relationship with somebody, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or your wife, and not ever talk to them. Good luck with that, right? So we have to be in constant prayer with Christ, and that's the challenge today. And even this last week, we had Memorial Day, and we had a lot of the normal rituals we have Memorial Day. We taught, think about military people that have sacrificed their life and given it all for our country. And one of the remarkable things that I observed when looking at military life and uh, one thing that they do every single morning is they get up and they make their bed, right? And some of you may have heard this story before where the first thing you do every day is you make your bed. And that sets the tone for the rest of the day where you make your bed and no matter what happens throughout the rest of the day, you know you always have a bed to come back and sleep in. So imagine if we can make that habit with our prayer life. Imagine if every morning we wake up and we spend that first 30 minutes talking to Christ, trying to get him to renew our hearts, get the evilness out of us, because we all know that we are wicked. And left to ourselves, we would perish. So that discipline of getting up and making their bed is the same way we need to approach our prayer life. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Ephesians 6.12. I'll give you all a second to get there. So Ephesians 6.12, if you're there, you can say amen. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That is Ephesians 6.12. So as we see here, 
God's reminding us that the battle is not amongst each other. For there is a spiritual realm in which the devil tries to work and is constantly trying to wreak havoc. I know many times we run into people in our lives we think are the devil themselves, but we need to be reminded that it is a spiritual battle. So the challenge today and what's been on my heart is what is it going to take for America to be all consumed with the heart after Christ? Or how it's stated in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Because we know in his word he says that Christ is in constant intercession on our behalf. So in knowing this, how do we become more like Christ? Going back to Memorial Day, thinking of all the stories and all the soldiers who gave it all for their country and who willingly did it. They didn't second-guess themselves. They volunteered and said, I'm going to serve my country. And just in Vietnam alone, we had 55,000 casualties of men and women that gave it all for their country. And many more in World War I and World War II, but listening to some of the stories, I'm a big history buff, and I like to watch documentaries from the History Channel and so forth. And just seeing some of the stories and some of the last requests that some of these soldiers had on their deathbed, it was either tell my family I love them, it was I don't want to die, or my favorite one was tell the people back home that I gladly gave my life for America. So think about all the men and women that have sacrificed their life for this country and for a cause of protection, freedom in America. And the call now is for us to fill in the spiritual gap for the kingdom, for God's kingdom. For if we do not pray to God, I will say it again, how do we expect him to know us and for us to know him? So we have an opportunity through prayer to bring glory to God. For he gave it all for us through his son, Jesus Christ. For we are bankrupt without Christ, a debt we could not pay. God had a plan all along. And without the sacrifice of his son, we could not save ourselves. So now the first thing about prayer, you have to know your adversary, right? We talked about in Ephesians how it's a spiritual battle. And make no mistake about it, Satan and his dominion principalities are real and they have a plan to destroy us. Their plans to kill, steal, and destroy, kill off people, infants, the unborn, so they can't carry out God's plan. Where do they try to steal? They try to steal our joy, our peace, our hope that's provided in Christ. They try to destroy families, churches, self-esteem. His, tactic, his tactics and methods are seen in the Word, and they have not changed. So to counteract the enemy's plan, we must battle in prayer. Prayer for the upcoming generation and our children, because if we don't pray for them, who will? Because they're going to be under constant attack. And as a youth, youth pastor, I have the privilege of getting to work with a lot of these kids and getting to see how this world is affecting them and getting to go through that struggle with them and pray for them. And when we look at the Old Testament with the, in Exodus about Moses' life, and here we see Satan had the same kind of tactics where the Pharaoh of that time, he made a decree to try to keep all the Israelites down because if you have ever read the story, the Israelites are multiplying like rabbits, right? No matter what they do, they can't keep the Israelites from reproducing and getting bigger. So Pharaoh 
became really worried that he could not control them and one day they would take over. So he made the decree to kill off all newborn babies of Israeli descent. And now you know the story. The mother obeyed God and not the command and saved her son Moses. But even deeper into that, we see the plan here of the enemy of trying to kill those before they can come and fulfill God's plan. And then if we fast forward to the book of Matthew, the coming of Christ, the three wise men, we see they were aware that Christ was coming because they saw his word. They knew his, the prediction of when he was going to arrive and where he was going to arrive. And so he goes to Herod, and he tells Herod, we're looking for the king. We're going to go find him. And Herod wants to find him so he could kill him because he's worried that he's going to, you know, come and take his crown. The devil's working through Herod. And so the wise men don't do what he says. That he, Herod wants them to go find Jesus, then tell him where he's at so he can go kill him. Don't obey. And this angers Herod. And so he orders all the babies under two years of age to be executed to try to take care of it. Here, once again, we've seen the same tactics by the enemy to kill off the next generation before they can fulfill God's promise. And so I think it's a, a foretelling of this next generation. God has great plans for them. Yep, we're not open. Okay. Um, we have great plans for this next generation because you can see the constant attack of the enemy. And even since Roe Ro versus Wade, when we see the acceptance of abortions and killing off babies and how the devil is trying to use the government and social acceptance of abortion to kill off babies before God can fulfill that plan. And so we must pray for the unborn today. We must pray for the next generation because God has great plans for them. Come on in. You can call whatever you want, but the fact of the matter is, Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And there is a real satanic church in America, if you're not aware of that, that is after killing innocent babies. The church has grown, not at an exponential rate, but there is satanicism in America. And I've even done some research on how um, these churches will go out and they'll go to these abortion clinics and they'll try to give these women other options, adoption and that kind of things to save these kids. And the, you'll get these leaders of this um, church to come on there and bash them and say how they don't need to be doing this kind of stuff. And, and why would they be supporting it if it was right? Why would the church of Satan be supporting it if it was what God intended? So there should be a clear and understanding that God is for life and Satan is for death. And his plan is to kill. And the next part of Satan's plan against the children is temptation and sin becoming the norm. We see this every day with the more acceptance in drugs, pornography, and violence. It's every day. If you think your kid's not being exposed to drugs, you're wrong. Because there will be parties, there will be people they go around, and there will be drugs offered to them. So we must pray on their behalf. Pornography has become more of a social norm that we think it's okay to lust after people and that everybody does it. It becomes acceptable. 
So we must pray against this sin and temptation. Violence is ever more prevalent towards our kids. It's hard to even find a PG-13 movie that doesn't have some kind of violence that could subtract our minds. So it's all become acceptable for sin. And so we must struggle in prayer on their behalf for this next generation because why would the devil put so much effort into keeping them down if God didn't have something planned great for them? Now, the last thing, and maybe where the devil puts most of his effort in, is trying to convince people that God doesn't love them. For Satan's attack on our children and upcoming generations, as well as ourselves, is simple. God doesn't love you. Now, this past week, I watched a movie. I was flipping through channels, and I found it on TV. Some of you may have seen it. It's called Forrest Gump, where it's about a guy who isn't that smart, and uh, he falls in love with this girl named Jenny, and she runs away. She had a horrible upbringing. She was beat by her father or whatever, and she keeps running away, and she'll always come back to Forrest because she knows he's the one guy that will always be there. And then one part of the movie, he's, she comes back, and he's mowing grass, and he accepts her. And then later on that night, he says, will you marry me? And her response kind of gave me this um, illustration to our relationship with God. And she said, you don't want to marry me. And he said the funniest thing. He said, I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. And that kind of reminds me of God. Sometimes his love seems foolish that we're going to keep letting him down over and over and over again. But we have to be reminded that his love is faithful. It may not be smart, but he still loves us. If the devil can prevent you from believing that God loves you, then he can limit your willingness to seek after Christ and evangelize about Christ, and he can limit the blessing over your life. There's another movie that many of you may have seen. It's called Ragamuffin. I can't think of the main character's name, but he created a song, Our God's an Awesome God. Rich Mullins, thank you. So in this movie, he's living this life of drinking and and seeking after sin, and he doesn't know the meaning to life, and one day his friend has a cassette tape that he pops in and says, hey, I want you to listen to this, and preacher, Brennan Now, Brennan Manning grew up um, Catholic and in a monastery, and he kind of developed his, his belief throughout his life, became Christian later on, and he pretty much simplified the gospel into one thing. He said, through all my study and through all my ministry, I came to find on the last day of judgment when you're before God, I believe that God will ask one question, and one question only, and is, do you believe that I loved you? Now, this statement destroyed him to the core, and it made him change his life, and from there on, he, not that he turned away from sin completely, he still had his struggles, but he viewed God in a whole new way. So, that message, when we seek God in prayer, is that God loves us. He wants good for us. He wants us to live Now, I didn't say, did you say that God loves you, but did your heart actually turn to God? Because many times we can get people up and say, hey, say these few words, and you are saved and going to heaven, but those words do not save you. It's your heart. Did you actually believe it, accept it, despite yourself? Because when we return to him after each mistake, it's because we understand he loves us. 
When we trust in him through difficulties, it's because we understand he loves us. When we love and forgive freely, it's because we understand he loves us. So let me remind you of what true love in Christ is for you. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and long-suffering is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not promote itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked, thinks no evil. And that's the King James Version because I like it a little bit better than the New Living Translation which says God does not get jealous, and we know that God does get jealous because we see that in the Old Testament. He is longing for you, and he wants you no matter what. So our prayer life must maintain this truth that despite us, God loves us and is longing for us. For on that day will he ask you, did you believe that I loved you? Now I want to talk a little bit about desperate prayer because I believe there's nothing like it. Now, I remember when me and Brittany, we were moving here to burn it, and I was still in school. She was pregnant, and she just found a job at the new Scott and White Hospital, and her family was closer, so that was a plus, and for whatever reason, God brought us here, and there was moments where we didn't have a lot of money. I was working part-time at the Y on the weekends. That's where I met Pastor Jim, and there was moments when I didn't have money for an anniversary present, and I cried out to God. There was moments when I didn't know what to do, and I didn't want to tell Brittany because I knew she was pregnant and didn't want to stress her out. So I prayed out to God with desperate prayer. And then the following week, I got a call from the school saying that they needed me to be a long-term sub, but they were going to pay me teacher pay. So it's when we get to this place of nothing else but desperate prayer for God that he begins to move. And I've recently heard some scriptures about revival in Asia and other parts of communist places in the world where they can't teach the gospel. They may go into a town and they have one piece of paper that has some scriptures dribbled down on it, but yet revival happens. You notice they don't have any growth plans. They don't have any books to read. All they have is what God has for them, a desperate prayer and some of these men and women will get thrown in jail for it, for preaching the gospel. Now, one of the men I heard, he spent like 18 years in jail because of preaching the gospel. And they asked him, what was it like in prison knowing that you went there for God? And his response was astonishing. It wasn't, I regret, I regret seeking after God. It wasn't, I wish I would never have done it, but... He said simply, oh, it was the honeymoon that they regret putting me in there because they, by doing so, I was able to witness to more people. You see, when we pray constantly like God calls us for, when we seek with him everything we have, it, nothing is lost but all is gained for his kingdom. And even some of the people um, around in Asia and China and Japan they kind of wear it as like a, a badge of honor. I've only been to jail twice. These guys have been to jail five times. Why can't I go to jail more? It changes when you're seeking after God with all you have. It changes how you view everything. So as we pray for God's will, pray against temptation of the devil, remind ourselves of God's love, and continue to labor in prayer for the future generations and the unborn, 
Men and women will start to stand in the gap and pray. Revival will take place. The devil will lose his foothold, and his plans will be defeated. Now, Leonard Ravenhill is a minister who's since passed away. Some of you may know him. But he had a statement which struck me. Not that Leonard Ravenhill is holy, but Christ is, and Christ used him. But he simply said, the devil has plenty of captains for his army. Where are all the captains for God's army? Now think about that for a second. We see plenty of evil in the world, from Hitler to extreme radical Islam. Many people who are willing to kill and destroy, but where are all the people standing in prayer, waiting to fight back? And one thing I want to show you in the book of Matthew, so if you have your Bible, turn back to Matthew. This is pretty cool, so I want you to take a look at this. Matthew 7, 22. So on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. So here we see a few things, which I think are overlooked sometimes. But Satan has little power, and even though we know he's at work and he's constantly working to harm us, we can see that he's really not that strong. If unsaved people can cast out demons, what power do they have? And think about God's power. For in the name of Jesus is so powerful, the unsaved can do miracles in his name. And even the third point to this scripture, a personal prayer life with God is the cornerstone of a Christian life. And like we talked about earlier, how do you expect to have a relationship with Christ if you're not talking to him? And devoting yourself to prayer. How does he getting to know you and you getting to know him? Last thing I want to talk about is praying with humility. And there's a scripture in Luke 18, 9 through 14. You don't have to turn there, but I will read it to you. It's the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. For we see two different parts here. The tax collector, if you're not aware of that job back in the day, it was like the worst job you could possibly have because you were working with the Romans, taking money from the Israelites to give to the people that were oppressing you. And so it was looked down as the lowest of the low job, maybe considered as like a car salesman as of today. Not saying car salesmen are bad, but... So here in Luke 18, 9 through 14... I'm going to read it to you guys. Two men went up to the temple, complex to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and praying like this, God, I thank you, I'm not like other people, greedy and righteous, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I, get, I give a tenth of everything I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, 
the one who went down to the house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbled himself will be exalted. So here we see that the Pharisee was thinking his works, right? I, I tithe, I fast, I even go to the temple to pray. That justifies me, but it does not. Without a humble heart and prayer, heaven will not hear your prayer because God is not moved by self-righteousness. God is moved by the humble and those seeking after him. Now, the dangers of self-righteous praying, your heart justifies you, not your tithing, not your fasting, but a humbled heart. God doesn't move because of preaching or words, but by our hearts. The Pharisee thought the things he did before God was justifying. I'm working so hard, and if we're not careful, even things like ministry can become an idol over God because we work so hard in a ministry, but yet we're forgetting to have a personal relationship with God. So we have to have the right heart or it is meaningless. And the man who cried out to God while still in his sin is forgiven. Now you could argue maybe tax collecting wasn't a sin, but back then it was viewed so bad that he felt bad about it because he was helping oppress his people. But even in that, God heard his prayer. You don't have to be perfect in your prayer to go to God. And many times we fall to our sins or we get caught up in sin and we think, I can't go to God right now. I'm still in sin. I'll go to him tomorrow. But God is eagerly awaiting us to return to him. Not by works, but by faith in Christ. That way no man can boast and we can see is the work of our Father. If you need to hear a quote to humble yourself, A.W. Tozar says, we don't talk about lies about how much we love God, but we sing it on Sunday. Right? We sing about how much we love God and how much we want Him to be with us and how we'll do everything, we'll lay it all down before Him, but is that what our heart is really feeling? Are we changing our hearts daily through prayer, reading His Word, sacrifice? Because if we're not, then we are just lying and singing lies unto God. Now, I don't have too much more to say about the subject of prayer, but we can recap and see that without it, we are nothing. And even Ravenhill would say a man is not worth more than his prayer life. Because if you're not praying and seeking after God, how can you expect to hear from him or dwell with him or have his blessing? But it seems like we're so eager when we make a mistake or we need help that we'll run to God. Imagine if you had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a spouse that only came to you when they had a problem. You'd probably get rid of them pretty quick. Luckily, God does not feel that way with us. So as we close, I just encourage you to surrender your heart to him. Maybe you haven't had the prayer life that you want and you know you struggle there, but guess what? God is asking you to return to him. He's asking you to lay it all down to him because someone has to stand in the gap. And while the enemy is not powerful and while God is all powerful, someone has to stand in the gap and pray. It has to be done. Not that God can't move without us, but he needs vessels to use. 
Let us pray in closing, and then we'll get the worship team back up here, and we'll have a moment. If you need prayer at the end, I'll gladly pray with you, and I know we have some leaders in here that will gladly pray with you. So let us pray in closing. Holy Father, forgive us for our wicked hearts. Help us to turn back to you as painful as that is for the flesh to do. Let your will be done now in our lives, but even in our children's lives. Thank you for your unconditional love and help. Help us to receive it even though we are not worthy of it. Hold fast to us, Lord, for where we are weak, you are strong. Thank you for your son who paid the ultimate price for us. As we go through this life with trials and tribulations, let us stand firm in the battle and prayer for your kingdom's sake. Amen. So at this moment, if you would like to come forward and have prayer for anything, I'll be up here. If you know you say, I want to stand in the gap, I want to pray, I want to be one of those prayer warriors, and I haven't been, and I feel like God's calling me to that, you can make a confession in front of Him right now. Not that you, He won't move if you don't, but it is a way to say, I hear you, Lord, I hear your word, and I want to be one of those people. So if you feel like God is talking to you and He wants you to come forward and stand in that gap and pray for future generations and cast out the enemy, which we all are called to do, by the way, and I feel like even I struggle with it at times, but God demands nothing less. So I'll give it a moment. If anybody comes up, that's fine. If not, that's fine as well.